He's gone. How's that possible? You looked around the crowded pub, but there is no sign of him. You just stepped away to use the loo and you told the kindly old man who you'd shared this afternoon with to natter away about politics, history, and this and that. You'd be right back. In fact, you'd even bought another round, but your table in the snug of the pub is empty except for your coat slung across your chair. His shandy stands half drunk beside an empty bag of crisps, forlornly crumbled into a ball. You look to the window and out of the corner of your eye you see in the crowd the back of an old man wearing a leather jacket and a flat cap on his hat. Could it be the old man you talked to? You don't know. You are not sure, but you watch him walk with steely slow determination towards a train. He comes to the steps of the train entrance and stops unexpectedly. The old man turns in your direction and waves with warmth and the finality of a farewell that is forever to everyone and no one. He then disappears onto his train that quickly leaves the station. He didn't even have time to say goodbye to you. But that is the way with life. We are just moments stitched together by the most fragile of threads, time. But what he told you about his life, about what he learned over his 95 years of existence, his memories of the Great Depression, the Second World War, the joys of post-war Britain, and their tribulations, his fears that the 21st century was marching towards an era that would be brutal to anyone who was not well-to-do will last as long as you care to remember it. Now I know you are disappointed that the old man, Harry Leslie Smith, is not here in this pub to speak in quiet deliberation about the mundane, a profound joy of being alive. But I ask you to sit for a while with me, his son, so that I can bookend this podcast, provide an epilogue to Harry, and perhaps a prologue to me. John Max Smith. Last year in late November, my father, Harry Leslie Smith, didn't expect to die when he was rushed to hospital in an ambulance. I certainly didn't expect him to die, even though he was 95 and had serious health issues for the past decade. I guess we both believed that his will to survive was stronger than his body, that was worn out from almost a hundred years of life. We both thought he was going to leave hospital and continue on with his last stand. But no matter how much I wished that it wasn't so, he did die from pneumonia on November 28th. And now I am left with the summing up, the tying up of loose ends, the sorting through of papers, the disposing of his clothes to charity shops, and finding the right epilogue to speak to you for the numerous chapters his life encompassed. It's an enormous task and it feels almost insurmountable because I am alone and still in grief over his death. So each step I take feels like I am walking against a tidal surge of water, yet to do nothing and hope that his legacy, his advocacy for the vulnerable, for refugees, and his fight against fascism would somehow sort themselves out on their own would be far worse for me. It would be like witnessing my father die a second death. I know that no matter how important my father's message is for today's politics and moving his life story was to so many people, it could all be easily lost. Our era is an epoch that encompasses great economic inequality, which combined with collective forgetfulness of our historical past has produced a worldwide resurgence of fascism and national tragedies like Brexit or the election of Donald Trump. That's why it would be so easy for my dad's words, his deeds, his voice captured in speeches to be buried and lost in the avalanche of news and content that floods our consciousness every day on social media. Because as history teaches us, the people of Pompeii ignored the rumblings of Vesuvius until it was too late and their city was destroyed in an eruption of lava and volcanic ash.
Besides, we that are alive forget the dead so easily because life is a hard grind for the living. Naturally, I won't forget because my relationship with my dad over this last decade was more than just that of a father and son. It grew into the deepest and most profound of friendships and partnerships. It was as nuanced as a marriage because in 2009 we found ourselves alone in the world when my brother and my dad's son, Peter, died tragically in 2009. My brother's death and our overwhelming sorrow was drowning both my dad and me in a sadness that would have suffocated us had we not turned that grief into Harry's last stand. All of this, the books, the Twitter feed, Facebook pages, speeches, tours around Britain and Canada, the podcasts, the media interviews were created in the wake of my brother's Peter's death at the age of 50 from interstitial pulmonary fibrosis. When I proposed to my dad that we should explore his brutal working class past as a warning to today's younger generation, I wanted my dad to engage in a multi-year project that would help him understand that his struggles had not been in vain, that hope could come from history to people today who had been brutalized by an economy that favored the few over the many. It was a project that I believed would help him come to terms without living a son that he had loved more than life itself. You see, my dad had been Peter's caregiver when my brother had developed schizophrenia in his late 20s. And without my dad and my mom's constant care, he would have died from that disease. Those extra years of life allowed my brother to grab some happiness, marry, and resume his calling as a visual artist. In the months following my brother's death, I feared that at the age of 86, my dad would die from a broken heart. He didn't, though, because writing about his early life in the cities and towns of Yorkshire, where he lived in slums with his family in a state of perpetual hunger and ill health, gave him a new purpose. From that time until I held him while he died this past November, I was beside him as his son, political comrade, caregiver, friend, and sounding board. We were a team, each equal and each vital for Harry's last stand to be the success it was. And that is why I will continue on the path that we cleared together. For me, preserving my dad's legacy is personal because when he died, all those who I loved and cherished and knew would love me unconditionally were gone. As long as I keep his legacy alive, I can feel his embrace. So over the coming months and year, I will take my steps to complete his refugee tour, finish his refugee book, and also write my own book about the political and spiritual odyssey we took together during these last 10 years. Along the way, I will make mistakes, as did he, and as you have done. But I will do my best to ensure that his message to the younger generation to not make his past our future is heard. I thank all of you for the warmth and love you showed Harry while he was alive and while dying. The support and affection shown to him since my dad began his last stand made the wounds that scarred his soul over the death of my brother Peter less painful. Now I must push off and begin my first leg on his long refugee journey by venturing across America to the migrant caravan in Tijuana. So I thank you again, and remember, be of good cheer, because Harry was once here. I am John Max Smith.